so Sean, you are a world pro surfing champion. And yes, which is like yesterday, right? <laughs> but the great thing is, is that you you currently reside in South Africa, South Africa, correct? I live. I, live, I actually live in Santa Barbara. I've lived here for about twenty five years, but I'm formerly from South Africa. I grew up there. Nice. South Africa is one of my, you know, it's one of my favorite spots in the world. It has a soft spot, a soft place in my heart. I um, when I was younger, I went to visit family members around the time, not too far off, like two thousand before the apart, you know, right when the apartheid ended. And I didn't really realize the magnitude, you know. Those circumstances, <laughs> to say the least. It was, but, a, it was a monumental yeah. transition, and it's one of the few countries in the world that is that has uh, has sort of peacefully uh, accepted democracy. It's been it's been an amazing transition. The country is amazing. I mean, there's yeah, issues, there's issues, but but it's not like race is not the issue. The issue is economics. The issue is uh, uh, you know how to rise people up uh, with better education. How to have a Stable electricity supply. Yes, yes, yes. Because I, I stayed in Johannesburg for about, I would say about, it was a long time because I loved it. And then I went down to George and then I went down to, yeah, I went down to George. And at Krugersdorf National Park, I went to Tanneries. I went downtown, Joburg, and bought Black Diamonds. <laughs> it was just so fun. And then fast forward, about 20 years later, I went there on a press trip for 360 for... Yeah, so I and I, and, and I was you know I didn't I never looked at the itinerary. So make a long story short, we went from Joburg, then all of a sudden we went to Durban, which I I, I never knew what Durban was. I never. I that's that's yeah. Yeah, and then Durban is so beautiful and it's so amazing, and they make BMW three series there, so everybody in the town has a BMW. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then it has a huge um. A culture, um, a huge culture, um, full of like curry specialists, so to speak. Yeah. A lot of Hindu, <laughs> there's a lot of Hindu, Muslim. I mean, it's a full that that city. I think was the most cross-cultural city, one of the most cross-cultural cities in the world. Hindu, Muslim, Zulu, Khoza, uh, black, white, Christian. I mean, just Indians, just like a massive. A massive right, place. it's so crazy. And then we went to Port Elizabeth. And, I mean, then we went to Cape Town, which you already know. I, I love Cape Town. And then we went to Port Elizabeth. So for me, it was just so surreal. So when I saw that you were from South Africa, I was screaming. I was like, ah, I was so excited because I really love Africans. And, you know, I, you know, <laughs> you know, I already know how to say the bad words. <laughs> okay. I'm more you. I'm more you. I'm more you. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I love South Africa. It's such a beautiful place. It is. It really is. And the people are amazing, like you said. And, and they're very resilient. Love America. So they love, in South Africa, they love America. Love, love, love America. Yeah. So, like a rock star there, brother. You must have yeah. like a rock star there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, that's you. That's you of all these world-class surfing professional championships, tournaments all around the world. I mean, you've been everywhere. How did you even get involved in surfing? How did you discover that as a talent? You know, my father, my father took me down to the beach when I was very, very young. He loved the beach. He had a, he was nearly killed by a shark when he was very young. He was a great swimmer and he was going to, hoping to represent his country in the Olympics and then was surfing and he was very badly attacked by a shark. So, um, but he never lost his love for the ocean and he taught me how to swim and he taught me how to surf right there and there where he'd been attacked. And I loved it from the moment I tried it. And then I just started getting better and better and better at it. And like any, I think, athlete, you know, when you find your passion and you find your love, you just put in the hours and 
you get better and I had a natural aptitude for competition and for surfing and eventually uh, uh, I helped build along with some friends we built the professional surfing circuit we helped build the surfing industry and uh, yeah we created uh, we had this dream of one day being able to make a living from going surfing and we made the dream come true and, and, and it was a wonderful life and I competed for 16 years I won 19 major pro events I was the, at the time I was the youngest guy to win but all my records have been broken down by this fabulous surfer called Kelly Slater. But I, I had a great career and then got into the business of surfing, and then got into writing books. And I do lots of big speaking engagements for, for very large corporations, now schools, universities. I do a lot of work with underprivileged kids, uh, helping empower them to find their purpose, find their power, find their path. So, yeah, uh, but it's all sort of related to surfing. Yeah, I saw that. And before we move on to that, because that's a wonderful segue, I wanted to ask you, what were some of the surfing or what were some of the surfing competitions that you really enjoyed? And what were some of your favorite surf moves? Because I know everybody had their little moves, their little, you know, their little 360, you riding the big waves. <laughs> I know you have, because I mean, like, I mean, tell us. So, so for me, my favorite waves were a place called the Pipeline in uh, Hawaii, which is the most dangerous wave in the world. So I, I was a, became the youngest winner of that event. I, I won it a long time ago when I was, when I was uh, 20 years old. And then uh, there's a great wave in South Africa called Jeffrey's Bay Super Tubes. So I love both of those waves. And then for me, you know, my focus in surfing was on tube riding, which is riding inside that spinning tunnel of water. And, and I really... Um, developed a whole new technique and a whole new style of riding inside the tube because before in the, in the sort of old days, it was like a straight line. It was like you shoot an arrow and you ride like an arrow, dead straight. But I developed a whole new technique of actually riding inside the wave. And it entailed really, I think, slowing your mind down. So reality was expanded, time was expanded, and it was like the wave was breaking in slow motion. And, and when I felt I could surf at my very best. I felt I could really curve that wall to my will. I felt I could control the way with my mind. It was an amazing feeling. So tube riding was really uh, my focus and that's what I, I really loved. And if you ask any surfer, what's the best part of surfing? They'll say riding inside the tube. It's just this beautiful moment when you're happy and you're scared and you're exhilarated all, all at once and you have the sensation of time being slowed down. And then it's, I mean, wow, the discipline that it took to get inside of that tube, I'm sure was intense because, you know, as a avid paddleboarder, no, <laughs> no, not really, but it's, it's hilarious because, you know, um, surfing is very difficult. I mean, it really is when you're riding those waves, particularly in, like you said, in Hawaii, those waves are vicious and in Bali, I've seen the waves be vicious in Bali. So, I mean, you know, how did you get through those? How did you, I guess, take those on? Does that lead us to what, with your 12 life lessons? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, um, you know, a lot of it is about commitment. Yes, discipline is, is a good word. But I think you really uh, have to commit to a very positive mental state. And you have to have this commitment to being confident and this commitment to being powerful. And yes, it, it does lead into, into what I do now with corporations, universities, PTSD survivors, prisons, rehab clinics, all sorts of, of different people. I, I really have developed this little method from surfing. It's called the code method. It came from a card that I wrote to kids many years ago called Surface Code, which were the 12 basic principles that surfing had taught me about life. So 
I encourage people to, if you're introspective and you're really thoughtful and you really think about your future and you commit to action, I like to say, find your purpose, find your power, find your path. And you can do this by picking up a sheet of paper, it's really simple, and spending 15 minutes and write 12 lines, every line beginning with our will. That's your code. And what I, I do is I do this process with, with millions of people. And people will get together. You might have a big group of 10, 20, 50, 100, 1,000, 5,000. And everyone will get together and they'll, they'll write their codes together. And when people write their codes, they find the best version of themselves. They find their best self. They find the best future self that they can commit to. And when people share their codes creates this accountability, but it also creates this amazing unity. And I think this process is one of the most fundamentally unifying processes that people can do because at the moment, you know, we've got Republicans, you've got Democrats, they're both on either side of the valley and there's just this black space in between, this negative space in between. And the code is a way for people to connect with each other through these positive values and positive commitments. The code is not about black, white, Indian, Hindu, Muslim, Jew, Christian, Republican, Democrat. It's about the essence of the human spirit, you know, and the human spirit is so pure. We all have this purity there. And when we write it down and we commit to it, we create this positive wave. And, and that's what I do now. My, my, my mission is to create this positive wave of purpose that flows across the planet. Wow. Yeah, that, that's beautifully said. Because I feel like, um, you know, see it, believe it, achieve it. It sounds cheesy growing up, but it really, yeah, it really does work. Cheesy, but, it, but, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, there's been so much. I mean, I went back to grad school. I, I, was, I like to say I was the oldest dude at grad school studying uh, the art and science of influence and, inspira and inspiration. It's called the, the study of leadership. And I came across these amazing studies on um, introspection, visualization, commitment. Mm -hmm. but, but a lot of people say, like, well, how do we do it? And I go, well, here's a simple way you do it. Pick up a sheet of paper, spend 15 minutes, write 12 lines. Every line beginning with, I will. You know, that's your purpose. That's your power. That's your path. It's, it's super simple. It's worked, Vaughn. It's worked for millions of people. It's super simple. And it's open source code, so it's free. So anyone can use it. Anyone can just go to my website, seanthompson.com, and you can see like a little video of what our commitment. I talk about perseverance and resilience, and then I talk about connectivity. And then they can just write the code, free. Get together with your family, your friends, your team at work, your sports team, your school class, your university class, your corporation. Just do it, write it. Make it yeah, happen. writing writing is powerful. Powerful. It's very powerful, because when you put words when you speak words, they come into fruition at times, but when you write them out, it's like your body is taking the responsibility and taking the control of, you know, and that ownership of that pen against that paper or your stylus. Yeah, <laughs> so it's just, it's just really powerful. I mean, words, it's like words of power. And it's so funny you say that because when I start off my presentation, I say words of power. That's my, my, um, you know, I know words of power and, and I ask people, send me a word, like when I've been doing these presentations through COVID for hundreds of thousands of people, like send me a word that describes how you're feeling. The four words have been stress, anxiety, depression, disconnection. Call it a sad mindset. So what you want to do is you want to try to change that mindset. And the only way you can change the mindset is with your own words. Yes, other people's words can inspire you, but your own words can create commitment, force, power to realize, you know, what you want to achieve. And visualizing, 
you know, like, like you said before, like sometimes I'll visualize myself going somewhere, like back to Durban soon, <laughs> and like living there forever. And um, but uh, for the most part, you know, I, I just love the um the South African culture. I didn't really understand it um watching television because it was so far from the truth of what when I arrived. But I always saw myself traveling and living abroad and eating different foods and partying with different people and meeting people. And that's exactly what I did. I saw it, I believed it, and I did it, and I lived it. And it was the most amazing thing in my life that I ever did for a little guy that was, you know, I went to Cornell, but I grew up very poverty-stricken in Detroit. So I didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot in our house. But one thing's for sure is I was a big dreamer and a great, had an amazing imagination. And to this day, what you're saying, it works so well for me. Even when I'm in a, the worst mood, I'll say to myself, is it really that deep? Have you been, you know, and then you see other people struggling and you see homelessness and you see people, because right now uh, I normally live in Los Angeles, but I'm in New York. The trains are like infiltrated and it's just really sad. And it's so much um, desperation with some of the people who are homeless. They're not your stereotypical can I buy a reporter. These people are, um, you know, it's just, it's a whole group, of, it's a whole new group of homeless people who are like attacking people, um, yelling at you because you ain't giving them a cigarette. You know, it's just a really different world. But what I found is, you know, when you look at that and you think to yourself, if I can do, if I can make anything, if I can make any difference, any difference, you know, what can I do? And so for me, instead of just walking by people, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll just say a little prayer or meditate or just figure out some ways on how I can change my mindset because they're not, those people are not just destitute and crazies or whatever. Those are human beings that fail, you know, you know, they fail from grace. For whatever reason, it happens to all of us, and it possibly have a support system to pull themselves up. So, what I always say is what you just said is I try to give myself some t opportunity and time, even with a, a walk. Walking for me allows me to, you know, allows me like a very nice little pace walk for an hour, sometimes on a treadmill, just to just, you know, just to clear my mind and just uh, relax and just think about nothing. And for me, when I'm when I'm doing that, that's when I feel at my best. And then you get off and you're like, wow, my waist is looking great. <laughs> so it's like you're killing two birds with one stone. But it's like, I feel like when I don't have that, when I don't have that time to myself, when I don't give myself permission to rest and go to sleep instead of being in this rat race, that's when it all falls apart. But yeah, I've been, but to me too, also, do you feel some people um, have premonitions as well? Because I feel like sometimes I have premonition. Like I'll see myself in a, like sitting somewhere and whatever. And then like one day I, it'll be like a deja vu. Like I'm really sitting in this car that I thought about that was leather seats and I smelled the, you know, like, so for me, it's like sometimes my my, uh, my ability to visualize becomes a premonition, which, which I love is, you know, it's the same for me too. When I see it, I believe it's the same thing. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm, yeah, I don't know if I'm daydreaming or what, but I love it. I love it. You know, I think certainly there's a, there's a closeness there between visualization, introspection, uh, premonition, and then uh, ultimate, uh, ultimate reality. But you know, Vaughan, you know, we're talking about words, and obviously, you know, you're a very, you're a very thoughtful guy. So I've read millions of lines of code that people have have written because I've been doing it for a long, a long time, and I speak to a lot of people. And um, 
everyone writes beautiful lines, but they're all different. I will have faith. I'll have hope. I will love. I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better father. I'll do what I say I will do. I'll live a life of integrity. Everyone just looks inside themselves and, and sort of finds the, the best version of themselves. But we only write two lines, and sort of our, our real life purpose can be identified by two lines. So one, I will be better. People write something about being better. You know, you, you just want to be better today than you were yesterday. You want to be better tomorrow than you are today. You know, you want to be a better dad. You want to be a better friend. Uh, you want to be a lifelong learner. Just you want to be better. But that's only one, one half of it. And, and the other half of it is that people write this is, I will help others be better. So, you know, we have this genetic compulsion, not just to be better, but to help others be better. And, you know, you spoke about homelessness and you, you spoke about this terribly intractable problem. But I, I, like, I like to think that perhaps if, if just one of us helped one person and that person helped another, you create this cascading wave that can sweep across the planet. So I'll, I'll tell you a little story. When, when I was competing on the Pro Tour, I met this young black kid who was working, doing some gardening in my mom's garden to earn some extra money. He was about 12 years old. His mom worked for my mom. Very, very poor. This was in the time of apartheid and segregation in South Africa. And he was just a great kid. And he said, I want to tell you about my life. I have two university degrees. I have two teaching credentials. I'm a high school principal. I have 1,600 students. And you are coming to speak at my school. I went and spoke at his school. It was, let me tell you, Vaughn, it was the great, one of the greatest days of my life. He stood up before me and spoke. He talked about the power of words. It was like seeing a young Obama, a young Martin Luther King, a young JFK, a young Winston Churchill. He, he was so eloquent and articulate. And I could just see all these students. They were poor, poor. But they were sitting there listening and immaculately dressed. They got one, one school uniform. And then after I spoke, the two students spoke. And these students, it was like these students were going to Cornell or MIT or Harvard or Yale. In this poverty-stricken school, this one man had created this unbelievable impact. And I'd played such a tiny part in his life. And I just felt, I felt so amazing. And all of us, you know, you never know when you help someone what they're going to do. He's helping tens of thousands of students realize their uh, um, potential. Make, Dreams come true, yeah, exactly. And your potential. Yeah, that's so funny you said that. And I always feel like we're all connected. And I feel like sometimes, like you said, the human spirit is very powerful and it's very provocative in the sense that it's made of energy to me, for me, rather. I feel like when I, I didn't even, and I saw a pro surfer, I kind of live in LA, but I'm the worst surfer. But one thing's for sure, I love the beach and I love Durban. And when I saw those things on your, I was like, I have to speak to this person. I swear to God, I swear. And I'm so glad I did because what you just said is something that kind of mimics something that happened to me in my life. Because I really wanted to go to school and I really wanted to do some amazing things. And somebody stepped in and they did exactly what you did. And you really don't understand how you change and help mold people until you see them become and step into their power and become the person who they sh who they were supposed to be, which is like a king. And so for that young man and for myself, I want to thank you because people like you and people who are earnest and hardworking and think about others and have a purpose and believe in themselves and understand that life and 
you know, humanity is about sharing and caring. That's really important for everyone. And sometimes, you know, I like to, you know, I had a smart mouth. You know, we all have our issues. You know, <laughs> you know, we all have our issues. But one thing's for sure, I always try to pay it forward, regardless. I always try to pay it forward. I always try to figure out, even if I don't have anything on my person, you would never know. If I don't have a dollar in the bank or whatever, you would never know because I'll always pay it forward. And so for me, working with so many young people in uh, Boston and Butler and uh, Fordham, it's just amazing. So, you know, because sometimes and when I'm talking to these young people, I'm like, oh my God, this is so crazy. Here I am, this, you know, so I, I'm talking to my younger self too. I'm like, this little poor little black boy from Detroit <laughs> figured out a way how to get to Cornell. Everybody said he was dumb. And, you know, kids are picked on you for whatever reason, because you live in, a, you know, a very, you are, you know, living in those very hard towns. You're always being challenged physically, emotionally, in all kind of ways. And you don't even have any clothes or food to eat sometimes. And so now I'm in a situation where I'm giving and teaching young people who are master's students at sometimes, which I don't even have a master's, how to write or do WordPress, or just like you said, it's all, to me, the world is all an algorithm. I believe everything is designed. Your body's designed, your mind is designed, your food is designed. And having said that, it's just, it's, and, I, and when I realized that, and I realized that you pay it for it, it not only feels good, it just feels right. And it feels like, you know, everyone needs help. I deal with so many international foreign students who are so ashamed or been teased and taunted because they have a very thick accent. And it's so terrible. It's so terrible to see a young child or a young person or human not be able to really live their full potential because they've been traumatized. And I've been traumatized. So when I saw that, and I knew that you were a man of water, and my favorite saying is, move like water and be fluid. <laughs> I love her. And so, and so when I saw that you're a water person, then I have a good team member who also is an aspiring surfer who lives in Santa Barbara, which I pray you meet him. His name is Ethan Solu, and he's an amazing person. He is actually transferring. He transferred from um, St. Louis Obispo to the Santa Barbara State University. Uh, UCSB. Uh, UCSB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, I always mess it up. I always mess it up. He's not too far, but in San, San Diego, Santa Barbara, I always mix him up. But he's in your vicinity. But he does, he's like 6'4", and he does, he does like 360s on a surfboard. Wow. And I'm like, how do you do that? Uh, you know? So it's like when you, and the great thing is, is like, you know, just being able to be around him and speaking to him and listening to him, it's just so empowering because he empowers me too. Because he'll say, if, um, if I don't talk to you sometimes, I feel really like, I feel like I'm, um, I don't know, I don't, I'm missing something. And so for me, just for somebody acknowledging that my presence, my voice, and anything I have going on just makes a difference for them. It makes a difference for me, like you said. So that, so when I saw your, I swear, I swear, and trust me, I was like, there's no way I'm missing this person because you know it's been freezing in New York for the last week and a half, and today yeah. is the only day that it is 77 degrees. <laughs> and I was like, I can't go. I gotta talk. I gotta talk. 
So I'm so happy and I'm so excited. And I wanted to touch on before we leave, not only about some of your your um your triumphs, but some of the tra- tragedies that you've had in your life and how you how did you get over those? Like we talked about trauma, and I know that you um had a situation where your son was doing the choking game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Can you explain I, that? I don't know why they call it a a game, but. You know, all the kids at school wore school tires. He was at a private school, and uh, they just played it with their tires. And uh, it, it uh, you know, I lost my beautiful son when he played that game. Obviously, he heard about it at school. That's one of the reasons why I talk to a lot of students, <laughs> to really have them try to use this code, this tool, to make positive choices. You know, so they've got this feeling of power, so they can... You know, be themselves and not sort of be pushed along into doing something that that their friends or their peers wanted them to do. So, so this this concept of having personal power, I think, is is very, uh, very, very important. Not just for young people, for all of us, but especially when you're young, when you know you you're perhaps not aware of the gravity of a decision. You don't realize that this game or or stepping into a car with a friend who's been drinking or drugging. You know that man, your life can be snuffed out just like that. You know, and I encourage, I encourage uh, students. Uh, I say, you know, write your code, find your power. But when the decision comes your way, you've got to think twice. Just that's all you need to do. Just think twice. Have that one moment of uh, thoughtfulness, and don't just react immediately. But just think twice, because thinking twice can can perhaps save save your life. So, um, you know, that that's kind of what I do and certainly a lot of my work is dedicated in, in honor of my of my beautiful son and it was very tough to survive a, uh, the loss of a child you know we all we're going to lose our parents and we're going to lose a lot of the people we love but you never expect to lose um, a child so it was very very tough but you know I think I managed to maintain sort of optimism and ma- managed to find a way forward you know there's n- numerous different things that people can use to find a, pay, a way forward out of um, out of the darkness. And certainly surfing helped me eventually once I got back into surfing. Uh, you know, that connectivity to nature really helped helped uh, warm my soul again, you know, helped, helped get me stoked again. And, and getting connected with my faith, I think that's important. No matter what religion you are, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, whatever it is, you need to get back to your faith. Um, and then get involved in, in, again, get involved in, sorry about that, Get involved in meaningful projects. You know, do something that's meaningful for yourself and for other people. I made this super cool movie called Busting Down the Door. Um, I, I wrote, you know, I've written a number of books now. I mean, generally I come out with a new book every couple of years. I got a new book out called The Surfer and the Sage. So, you know, I really try to get involved in projects that inspire me and can inspire other people. And, and that helps you find this new path. How many books do you have now today that you've written? I've written five books. Um, three of them have been more along the lines of um, sort of spirituality. One book was a rhyming book for kids. I wrote for my son. It was called Crazy Creatures Under My Surfboard, A to Z, From Anemones to Zambezi Sharks. Uh, then I wrote a book about this movie I made called Busting Down the Door Revolution of 75. And then, you know, my three books about spirituality have been The Surface Code, the Code, The Power of I Will, and then my newest book with, with my co-author, Noah Bench, it's called The Surfer and the Sage. So, so these are all books that are, um, that are written just to help give a different perspective. 
there's no prescription, just a perspective. And, and the books all talk about the code, the code method, how you can use it to activate purpose to live a better life. Yeah, because you have 18, you, you analyze 18 breaking ways of life, and they include loss, depression, aging, relationship changes, all the things we all think about every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we chose 18 because 18 is a very sacred number. Yes, it is. 18, because in every letter in Hebrew has a numeric, a number associated with it. And the word for life is chai, and that's the number 18. So the book's about life, about having a better life. So that's why it's got 18 chapters. And every chapter is about not just the positive, but the negative as well. It's about despair and hope. It's about powerlessness and empowered. So it's how you can make the transition from, from one to the other. I tell you what, Vaughn, I've got a I've got a call that I've got to jump on right now. Okay. Sorry, I didn't realize we we're gonna. Oh uh, no, no problem. I was I was getting caught up with you. I'm so sorry. But we have we have everything we need. And thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. It's beautiful. And um, hopefully, I can continue to follow in your footsteps because I love what you're doing. Thank you, Vaughn. I look forward to staying connected, man. You're awesome.